Totally Football Show. Today, Manx Raiders, City beat the Baggies, United keep it tight with Tottenham, but what awaits the Mancunians midweek? Claude Puel is in at Leicester and he's clawed three points back already in another grade day for Everton. Elsewhere, Troy Deeney shows again he's got a lot of cheek, only this time it belongs to Joe Allen. And more late than a French dairy, it's Wilfred Zaha's Zaha Kadabra rescue job for Crystal Palace. Still bottom, mind. There's a salute to England's young world champions from a man who claims it's OK to hope again. News from around the continent. Very little mention of the keeper who brought new meaning to you're in goal. And your questions. It's the Totally Football Show. All right, then. Hello, everybody, and happy Halloween, actually. Happy Halloween. We've got uh, goals and ghouls, tricks and treats, uh, and lots of hair-raising action. Raphael Honig, that man who knows all about hair-raising, uh, is joining us here in the studio. Hi, James. Uh, also, Ian McIntosh. <laughs> Hello. Fresh back from the King Power. Whoa. Super. And we've got a new friend today. Say hello, listeners, to Jordan Jarrett-Brian. Hello, sir. Hello to you. Hey, how you doing? Uh, let's enter the, for a second the world of Jordan Jarrett Bryan. <coughs> let's do it. It's mucky, but let's go. Mm, intriguing. Uh, you're a Channel 4 new sports reporter. I am indeed. What's yes. your beat? Any beat that's interesting and of news to or interest to our general uh, audience and fans out there. So okay. we kind of cross most sports, but um, because we're not sports fans, that's not mm. our, our route, we try and make whatever is interesting to people that aren't generally interested in sports. Hey! It's a challenge that I accept. All right, speaking of beats, though, you also host the Beats and Balls show on Pyro Radio. I do, yes. Um, it's a little less serious than what I do at Channel 4 News. Right. Um, we basically just talk football and play music all day. Um, and it's it's fun because we all love football here in this room and we all love music. So why not combine those two beautiful bastions and do it in a two-hour show? Um, are you also a two-time European champion with the GB Junior wheelchair basketball team? I am indeed, yes. All oh, right. Third time I lost in the final. But okay. Two, I won it twice. Um, this is gonna. This there's no way I can say this without sounding really stupid. But <laughs> you're not in a wheelchair. I'm not in a wheelchair. No, but I have a disability, so oh, okay. I play wheelchair basketball. But you get into the wheelchair for the game. I do indeed. Yes. Um, okay. Hence wheelchair basketball. Um, Twenty years playing the game. Loved it. Enjoyed it. And yeah, two-time European champion. Brilliant. Good well, times. congratulations to you. Thank you very much. You're also currently the only member of the TFS family with dreadlocks. Although I don't know, Rafa. <laughs> I, I don't recommend it for you, James, as a look, if that's what you're asking me. I bet we're all intrigued now. How would that look? Someone How is already opening Photoshop as we speak. <laughs> Super. Um, it's a big week of football. Uh, there's Champions League. And I think a lot of interest around whether the Premier League clubs can continue their fantastic start. Is it 15 games so far and uh, and no defeats? What's the key game? Which game are you most looking forward to, Jordan? I think it's the the, the, the Napoli City game, just because I think that I'm not going to lie and make out like I'm totally across the Italian league. But from what I have seen mm. and heard from friends of mine, Napoli are arguably one of the most exciting teams in Europe. I'm on a par, some people say, to me with City. So the first game was quite interesting, I thought. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how City uh, deal with this game at home because I think Napoli are going to go for them. And I think that as, as ferocious as this City team looks, I don't think they've been really tested at the back yet. I'm still not quite all in with this. They're the best complete team yet. I think that Napoli will test them at the back. And I, I want to watch that game. Well, Napoli... Uh... Up to the usual firecracker football tricks this this weekend in their 3-1 win against uh, Sassuolo. Could have been 4-1. Zielinski had one of those shots that hit one post, hit the other post and then bounced out again. Darren oh, mm. And of course, Man City had a victory of their own. Although the scoreline makes it look like it was anything but a foregone conclusion. There's 3-2 away at West Brom. Yes. It was champagne football barring just a couple of moments. I mean, they were well ahead of West Brom and probably should have won by a lot more. Um, but West Brom are, are particularly pugnacious. Mm, indeed. So, hey, speaking of pugnacious, was it just me or did Edison actually absolutely clatter Matt Phillips on the second West Brom goal? Matt Phillips, they basically they come together and Edison makes sure that he lays two hands firmly in Phillips's face in a very... I was surprised that he wasn't picked up at all about that. I was surprised he was so slow out. Okay. Um, and I wondered if it was something to do with getting Sadio Mane's boot in his mouth um, <laughs> quite recently. Yes. Leroy Sane winning plaudits again. That's his eighth goal. Uh, he's only 21, Rafa. 
always looks, forget that. He looks so good, doesn't he? Mm. Frightening pace. A lot of people criticised him for making the move straight from Schalke to, to City, said it came too early. And in a way it did, but he now benefits from having maybe gone a little bit early because he'd had that experience and now he's really coming to his own under the guidance of Guardiola. Obviously the team plays better on the whole, which helps him. But his movement, his uh, decision-making, he's everything. And really exciting for Germany as well because I think on this form... He's got a very, very good opportunity or chance uh, of starting for Germany at the uh, World Cup in Russia. Well, yeah, I can see. I mean, six goals and five assists in the last seven games. Those are crazy numbers. They're all crazy numbers with Man City, mm. though, aren't they? Are, they? Aren't they? 78% possession, although, you know, it was against West Brom who kind of do that kind of thing. Ooh, also the most passes completed, if you care about these things, since the dawn of Opta. So, <laughs> the um, dawn of Opta. Yeah. And so it's going to be, as you say, Jordan, a pretty... Exciting match because they're not going to do a Mourinho when they go away to to Naples. I'm pretty sure they're going to come out and play, and and, and Napoli certainly will. Once they, I mean, it's after that second half at the Etihad where it kind of dawned on Sarri that he could actually go at at Man City kind of toe to toe and yeah. and not get an absolute thrashing. Be interesting to see how Insigne does because he was. His exit, we, we thought, was the turning point for Napoli in the first game. He looked particularly lively this weekend against Sassuolo, and I'm sure with the home crowd and Decibel Bellini and all that stuff going, he, he will really be looking to make his mark. I see that as a high-scoring game. Not sure how it's going to go, though. Hmm. Yeah, also I think it's interesting because we're going to see what team Pep plays, considering they have Arsenal on the weekend, and I think that the team he picks in the week might tell us where his priority is, considering he's got a huge team, a huge squad. Mm. But I think what team he plays this weekend might tell us which he's really going for the most. He likes to swap his players around a little bit, uh, does Pep. How about Spurs' clash with Real Madrid? Now, they're optimistic that Harry Kane is going to be back for this game at Wembley. Of course, they're taking on a Real Madrid team that themselves got beaten. A uh, real shock result this when they went to Liga New Boys Girona in Catalonia. They visited a small republic that had just declared independence without really having any clear idea of how to do it. This should be a very different trip <laughs> for Real Madrid. Is it not Girona? Probably is. Anyway, what what a result that was. It'd be interesting to see how that... that because Real Madrid have been on a fantastic run of form going into this. I think they were, of the last seven games, they'd won six. The 1-1 with Spurs at the Bernabeu was the only interruption to that. Yeah, and it's knocked them off their stride possibly a little bit. Um, I think it would be very interesting because Real Madrid are sometimes quite happy to play almost a passive game. They don't need to have the ball that much. They're quite happy to... Uh, I wouldn't say sit back, but let the opposition play around a little bit and then go along with, with these fantastic options that they've got. So I think, in some ways, I think it would be a more difficult game for Spurs than it was at the Bernabeu. The Bernabeu has a psychological fear factor. Real Madrid win most of the games there. Um, I think players can be a bit overawed by the occasion. But I think in terms of um, approaching the game, leaving it to Spurs to create might actually be a pretty good way forward for for Real Madrid and just hit them on the break. I, I'd make actually Real Madrid favourites to win this game. I would yes. agree. Um, there's been some disturbing signs of complacency in Tottenham of late. First, the game against West Ham, where they pretty much went into standby mode um, into the second half. And then against Manchester United on the weekend, where they switched off for the uh, wing commander Charles Reap winning goal. Um, and they can't do that against Real Madrid. They'll get done. Can you explain what you're talking about? Uh, wing commander Charles Reap, the godfather of football analytics, who oh, believed right. that the best way to score was in a p uh, passing move of uh, three passes um, because that's how pretty much all the goals were scored. So David De Gea, kick, Romelu Lukaku, nod on, first time finished by Martial. Very nice. Yeah. I also think the Real Madrid are one of the two or three teams in Europe that will feel a little bit embarrassed qualifying out of the group second. So they're going to want to win this game to make sure that they take the take the lead in this group and make sure that they are known as the best team in this group and we went through top. So I think they're going to really, really put it on Spurs in this game here. Mm. You also don't want to meet a team like that when they've just had their pants pulled down by someone. Um, they're going to be in a very, very bad mood and want to take it out on someone. Yeah, although Spurs presumably are going to be in a, a bad mood after you know their own bit of... Well, yeah, that is a reasonable. Misadventure up at Old Trafford. Uh, much for Jose Mourinho to enjoy 
in that game. <laughs> six tra- <laughs> Some people speak too much, calm down, relax a little bit. So nice he's one of our listeners, actually. <laughs> um, but, uh, of course, he had words for all sorts of people. Yash says, extreme level of nitpicking from the British press and media when it comes to Mourinho. They almost seem to hate him on a subconscious level. Why is this? I don't think it's subconscious. <laughs> I don't think it's hate, really. I, I think it's Man United. I mean, Man United are newsworthy whether they win whether they lose even when they draw and also for the type of football that they play mm. right now I think there is a bit of a disconnect between the results which are by and large pretty good and the, the kind of football um, that doesn't really truly excite certainly not the neutrals and possibly not that many of the Man United fans either and I mm. think that's where this discussion come from in the end results football hinges on results I mean it's a bit of a truism but if you don't get the results then what have you got Nothing at all. And, uh, you know, if he keeps on grinding results all the way to second place in the league at the end of the season, then people will think, you know, why? Mm. Uh, What's going on here? So he's got the problem that City are flying and are just putting everybody else in the shade. Uh, And they have spent similar crazy sums of money, but spent them on more exciting players playing more exciting but, football. But the broader thing with Mourinho specifically, I think, is the fact that he's he's built a career out, out of winding people up to get a reaction to provoke a siege mentality, etc. So you, you can't really complain when everybody harbours a little bit of kind of prejudice, not prejudice, but the, you, ha- you develop a certain sort of attitude. And certainly this isn't specifically an English thing. It was very much the case when he was at Inter uh, uh, as yeah. well. He thrives on the friction mm. inside the club, outside the club. Um, you feel that he's happier when... People, he creates the friction, I would yeah, say, as well. when people are against him, when they put the, the team under pressure. But I think this is this is slightly different because he's trying to justify his his means. Um, I don't think there's, there's very little discussion about the, the fact that it works. Mm. But because of Man City and because of Man United's status and background and everything, he seems more defensive than usual. And I think that's not something that he's really good at. He's better when he's actually going out and attacking others and and winding others up. He seems to be a little bit um, unsure how to to deal with this particular narrative. Mm. I think this is key. What, to the Mourinho thing? I was going to move on from discussing Mourinho and his moods. Uh, the key is that no one's talking about the fact that it's actually working. Everyone's what? talking about the style. Hmm. Um, you know, w- when they have a game like that, where they they grind it down and then they make the changes to give them that little zipper pace at the end and right. they win, it worked. It's the same as when he wrote off the back end of the league season so he could concentrate on the Europa League. Yeah. It worked. As long as it keeps working, he'll be fine. United hosting Benfica this week. Not a game that I have huge expectations for, Rafa. Well, not based on the first... Um appointment between those two where it needed a uh, catastrophic goalkeeper mistake or uh, depending on your view of course a, a superbly executed very targeted free kick mm-hmm. uh, homing in on the uh, floors of young uh, Jose Za I think his name was sounds right Spurs at risk then we think Man United less so Chelsea Chelsea travelling to a Roma side uh, Jordan that um doesn't have a great record in the Champions League. Only two wins in their last 18. In fact, their win in the group stage against Carabag, because Carabag was their first win in eight UEFA Champions League matches. And having said, because Carabag, Carabag actually then held Atletico Madrid to a draw in Azerbaijan. So, fair dues. Roma have quietly been putting together a really, really, really impressive run of form uh, and keeping clean sheets... Uh, this weekend, a fantastic goal from Stephen El Sharawi, the little pharaoh. I don't know if you're a fan of him. Uh, I, just, I think Roma... I didn't give them a chance at Stamford Bridge, and they had that brilliant 3-3 performance. Amazing goal by Dzeko. Kolarov looked fantastic. Their heads didn't drop when they went behind. They're Roma, so you never know, but... I think that I, I think it'll be it'll be a tough game for Chelsea um, because Roma are looking very very good at the moment, and I slightly think that Chelsea will go the furthest of all the English teams in the Champions League. Really, why? Simply because I think that Conte really is annoyed at this you haven't done very well in Champions in in Europe um, kind of narrative, which is true. And I don't see them being part of this Premier League dance-off you know, that's happening in Manchester at the moment. So I think he may just feel, it's my last year in the Premier League, I'm going to just put all my eggs in the Champions League basket and really go for that. And I think that the Chelsea team is actually more set up 
to do better in the Champions League than it is in the Premier League. Mm. So it wouldn't surprise me if they... It's a, it's, this will be a tough game, but I think that they will go further in the Champions League than all the other three or the four uh, teams at the moment. This weekend's clash with Bournemouth... Uh, was their first clean sheet in seven matches. Mm. That's surprising, isn't it, for a Conte yeah. side? Rafa, you were just it's raising your eyebrows. It's a little bit unconvincing at the moment, Chelsea. Mm. I, um, I felt that they had run out of steam towards the end of last season already. They looked a little bit sluggish uh, in a few games. They didn't turn up for the FA Cup final. And it's kind of continued from there with the, all the troubles that Conte had with the, with the club uh, in the summer. And it just doesn't seem a very settled very settled side. You don't expect Chelsea at home to concede three mm. goals against Roma. And I think that Roma have a real opportunity here. Of course, the pressure on both sides, certainly on Chelsea, isn't that great because of Atletico's slip-up. Chelsea will probably qualify come what may, so they can in many ways af- afford a bad result. If Roma win, though, that is almost... That would almost guarantee their qualification because you'd you'd have to factor in that both will, in all likelihood, both of these sides will pick up at least three more points from their respective games against Karabakh. So they're very, very close to to qualifying, especially if Roma win this one. In defence of Chelsea, uh, as Raf is right, they were unconvincing against Bournemouth, but Bournemouth pulled out their thick back three formation that they used against Man City. Hasn't actually got them any thick points. Thick back three? <laughs> That's not a personal comment. Yeah. Um, but they have two very mobile full backs who can make it a back five. Then the midfield sits very deep, and what you've got is basically like a heavy red curtain of shirts. Okay. And it's very, very hard to get through. Man City struggled with it, took them until the 97th minute to get the winner when they came down to what I was going to call Dean Court, but it's, of course, a Vitality Stadium. And again, it, it kept the game very, very tight here. Right. I wouldn't take that performance too much as a reflection of Chelsea, more of Bournemouth doing the job on them. OK, Jordan, you mentioned the selection issues for Pep Guardiola with the Arsenal clash coming up at the weekend. Of course, Chelsea have Man United next weekend. They do, and I think that the same kind of thought process applies I think that he would if he gave him the choice now of three points in either game I think he would take three points against Roma and sacrifice the United game because they're already out the running though well I, I don't think they're out the running but I just think he will weigh it up and think what, um, what my chances of doing better in Europe I think are higher than these chances of doing well in the Premier League mm. um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts the strongest team forward for the Roma game even at the potential risk of doing not so bad not so well uh, on the weekend Raf's coming in hot on this one I think <laughs> doesn't know about hot but I, I think because of the um, personal animosity, animosity that clearly uh, exists between Conte and Mourinho um, that he'll want to absolutely win both games one is in Italy you know, he comes back to Italy he wants to have a great result and the Champions League as you said um, Although animosity wise, like Roma, Conte, not a lot of love lost there neither. No, yeah, there's, there's something yeah. of the first husband about Mourinho with Chelsea, isn't there? You know, mm. she's packed off with a fitness instructor, that kind of thing. Yeah, oh, first yeah. and, uh, and seventh husband. Oh, <laughs> <Well>, yeah. <laughs> Top mental arithmetic, most of it. Well, it could be right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing a dart. Let's move on then. Uh, all very exciting. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about some of the other. Champions League clashes later on. And of course, you and I, Rafa, will have the, the pleasure of being across all of them on Tuesday and Wednesday's Girl Show on BT from 7.30. Right now, bit of music, then the biggest match for many a weekend. Running a small business is hard. It can take weeks to set up a meeting with the bank who will then charge all sorts of fees for their business services. But Tide is different. It's a new nimble banking service which will save small businesses like yours time and money. It takes just three minutes to get started with Tide and you'll get a UK sort code and account number and a company MasterCard. Tide also provides automated bookkeeping and an invoice assistant and it works seamlessly with all major accounting software like Xero, Sage and QuickBooks. So head to tide.co and enter the promo code TOTALLY to get six months of free money transfers. After that, your account becomes pay-as-you-go. There are no monthly fees ever. That's Tide.co and the promo code TOTALLY. Tide, the current account your business deserves. Saturday afternoon in Calcutta, England won the World Cup again. Again, Rafa. It's all we do. The under-17s did it this time. They came from two goals down. They did it against the side that beat them to the European title in May. And they did it without their best player from back then, Jadon Sancho. Mm. Wow. It is England's third major youth title of 2017 after the Under-20 World Cup and the Under-19 European Championship. What is going on? 
Well, we asked Football 365's Daniel Story. He was all over this story. And this is what he said. It was brilliant. It was absolutely sensational. Um, I think England were slight underdogs going into the game, although they were, they were very much 50-50 with Brazil. So, that, so winning that game kind of spurred on a little bit of belief. But yeah, having gone 2-0 down in the first half an hour, no one really gave us a chance, me included. But that kind of resilience under pressure is something that we haven't seen from any England signing in quite a long time. So it was, yeah, it was brilliant. Extraordinary. Against the team that had pipped them in the Euros in the summer, and as you say, from 2-0 down, a, a remarkable comeback. You pointed out uh, England are actually the first country in history to win three major men's underage tournaments in a single year. Are we basically the new Spain? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all easy from here. Um, no, I mean, Spain and Brazil have both won two. We're the only ones that have won three. I think the important thing, and, and I mean, everyone's saying it, it goes without saying, but you winning youth football tournaments is no indication of, or no guarantee of success, but it is a guarantee of potential. So it shows that the talent, the natural talent, which for a long time we worried wasn't there, clearly is. You know, whether that is down to the FA and this England DNA programme, or whether it's just you know, good coaching within the elite clubs where so many of the players seem to be is open to interpretation. But clearly the natural talent is there. And having been very pessimistic for a long time about that, that's a nice thing to say. Mm. What's your interpretation then? You say there's, there's different views, but where do you think that the, the credit really lies for this? I think we are playing, if you watch the under-17s and the under-19s, we are playing a very, very fluid and skillful and, and flair football, which England teams have, have rarely done. And, and of course, there's a danger that when they get to the senior side, they kind of adopt that lack of belief and that sort of confidence gap that, that every England senior time seems to have had for 20 years. But they are, they do look at this age very different to a, a normal England team. And I suspect that's partly due to the coaching, I suspect that's partly due to having them collected at elite clubs with the best coaches in the country. You know, quite a large proportion of that squad either play at Manchester City, Chelsea or Liverpool or Arsenal. So having them there is clearly a good thing. But then the obvious flip side to that is whether they, they can kind of break through to the first team, which is what will define these these players, not what they've done at under-17 or under-19 age mm. groups. Daniel, give us a couple of remember-the-name nominations. <laughs> Rian Brewster is the one who has, who has really come through, maybe not against the odds, because because Jurgen Klopp, I think the, the Daily Telegraph's Jonathan Norcroft tells a very good anecdote about speaking to Klopp about just how good they, how highly they rate Brewster. But he's the one that's kind of come through out of Jadon Sancho's shadow. You've got Jadon Sancho and Phil Foden, who were the two Manchester City players in the under-17 teams who everyone rated and everyone knew could be big things. And that's, to be honest, that's why they're at Manchester City. Uh, but Bruce has come through. He's got eight top scorer in the tournament, hat-tricks in the quarterfinal, hat-trick in the semi-final, which nobody, even in the England camp, saw coming quite to that extent. So he's probably the one that's that's truly landed now, who now has that battle to get past a long queue of forwards at Liverpool. Mm. That's the, the thing, I guess, the chances of them breaking into the, the senior side. So which of these teams, of, of this squad rather, do you think will have the best chance of actually breaking through in the short term and getting first team football? It's so hard to say. I mean, one of the nice things about this squad is that there are a couple of the, of, of the high performers, Morgan Gibbs-White and Stephen Sessegnon, who are at championship clubs, Fulham and, and Wolverhampton Wanderers. So they potentially will get a chance. Nia Kirby's at Crystal Palace and you know, maybe in the midst of a relegation battle, they might not rely on him, but he's 17 and he's, you know, he's a winger and they like their wingers at Crystal Palace. So if anything goes wrong with, with uh, Wilfred Zahara again, then maybe he could get a chance. And But other than that, they are kind of collected at the top of the Premier League. So we always look to, to Mauricio Pochettino to, to give those players, you know, to give his players a chance. And Tashan Oakley-Booth is a, is a midfielder at Spurs who's, um, who's impressed. So, but... I mean, I can't sit. I can't sit no. here and say that the Manchester City and Chelsea players are going to come through because I, I don't believe they do. Pep Guardiola has made promises on Phil Foden, and there will be a huge amount of disappointment if he doesn't make the grade in the next year. Mm. Um, but we're probably talking minutes rather than league starts. I in suspect. the meantime, James Sancho is breaking through at the top level in the the Bundesliga. The, the mm. short term future then for England youth football is what the under nineteen European Championships. Yeah, they, they obviously move on to that and, and we, we will view their 
we'll view their development there. The, the, the one the one tournament this summer that England haven't quite excelled in was the under 21s and obviously that's you know goes without saying that's that's the nearest to the senior football we we lost some penalties to Germany although we were better than people expected in that tournament um but yes I mean the 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 brilliant thing about this this year of success is not that it means these players are going to be you know necessarily all of them are going to make the grade but what it does mean is that more questions will be asked I think if if they don't get given the chance um I hope that it gives those players the kudos to think if I'm not playing for my club why can't I go abroad? Why can't I follow Jaden's lead and uh, and go to the Bundesliga or go to the Eredivisie or go to La Liga? Because they've shown they can compete with their European peers, which for a long time they hadn't done. Uh, and I think European clubs kind of look down their nose a little bit at English youngsters, whereas maybe that's that tide is turning now. Daniel's story there. He'll be in next week, actually. Uh, Jordan, it's OK to hope again. Will you be trying a little bit of hope? I will, and but I'm a fool, so that's probably kind of why I'll be buying into the whole. You never know. Um, in ten years' time, this could be a, a World Cup winning team for the senior team. Perhaps so. Daniel himself kind of charts the decline of of hope among the English fans. He pinpoints the Pirlo Panenka against Joe Hart as possibly the kind of definitive moment in which. Ian, you're shaking your head. No, well, for me, it was 2006. I think I, I would have considered myself an England fan still in 2004. But in 2006, that England squad on paper should have done something. Mm. It should have had a crack. Not maybe not win it, but it should have had a crack. And they were so miserable in every single game. That was when it went for me. Okay. Just a brief, brief point to make. Everyone's talking about now what happens with these, these youngsters and clubs have got to play them and where do we go from here, blah, blah, blah. I think there needs to be a lot more... Uh, a lot more focus on the, the players themselves and what they do. So when and good saying that clubs need to play these players so they get minutes, I think it's about the decisions that the players themselves now make. They can't keep blaming the clubs. Go to play, go to clubs even that you think you're going to play at. And even if it is a lesser league mm. for less money, it's about that now for me. Or really. the very exciting Bundesliga, where yeah, you know young British option. talent has started yeah. to to head in search of space. Good point. Hey Rafa. Hey James. Also on Saturday, Liverpool Huddersfield. How big was this in Germany? It wasn't that big. Was there? No. You know, the Klopp Wagner thing. Yeah, it got a bit of attention, but Wagner is not really a household name. I mean, he was with the under twenty threes at Dortmund. He even got relegated with them. I mean, he's not anywhere near in Klopp's uh, sort of orbit mm. um, as far as attention is concerned. Uh, but of course, you know. People have picked up the story that Klopp was under a bit of pressure before this game, that it would have been a bit of a disaster losing against, uh, for, first of all, Huddersfield, but then also his uh, one of his best friends. Um, and it's a, it's a result that I think buys him a bit of uh, quiet and a bit of uh, breathing space. You must have been worried for your book as well, you know, with that run of results. and <laughs> it, it, you know, it, just, it wouldn't help the Christmas market were he to, say, no longer be there. In a way, against teams like Huddersfield who press and who make make it their business of reducing the other side and disrupting them and being horrible to play against, that that is kind of how games often go. They press and press and press and then they, in the second half they can't quite do it with the same intensity. Suddenly spaces open up a little bit. Um, the positioning gets a little bit better. People are a bit calmer on the ball and then the individual class comes to the fore. So... Mm. You know, people often say, you know, what did he say in the half time? You know, he really got them going. But it's often just a consequence of how the other side play in the first half. Then the second half, the, the more the better footballing side just comes into it kind of naturally. And I think that's what happened there. Their class ultimately was just too big. And it was Liverpool against Huddersfield at the end of the day. Also, though, <clears throat> Huddersfield were really poor, I thought. You know, I was, I was talking him up on Thursday saying, oh, they'll let Liverpool into their half. Then bang, they spring the trap and off they go. I didn't see it. Mm. Um, it wasn't a good very day. Very, very little at all. OK. A win then for Liverpool without uh, Coutinho and Mane. Uh, Sturridge getting his first goal since August and it was his 100th. And Liverpool continuing their excellent defensive form. It is every bit as good at Anfield as it's bad away <laughs> from home. Midweek, they're going to be at home to Maribor. Uh, will this be as tight as David Priest predicted the away leg would be? Nil-nil, <laughs> yeah. he called this It as? could possibly be a little bit tighter because Maribor were actually incredibly open and, and crazy the way they approached this game. Um, if memory serves correct, they, they basically played two strikers and they, they left a lot of space for Liverpool to, to basically take them apart. 
Um, so going to Anfield, they might just sit back and try and frustrate Liverpool a bit more and not embarrass themselves the way they did on the home pitch. So strangely enough, it could be a, okay. a slightly tighter game. But still, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that Liverpool will, will get the three points somehow. All right. Other German news, Rafa. Bayern Munich, Jupp Heynckes, he's only going to take them top. Four straight wins now? Yes, although the uh, the midweek game against Leipzig officially counts as a draw because uh, it finished. Uh, but in the Bundesliga, one, I think one. it's four. Yes, it in the in the Bundesliga it's one or four. Yes, that's correct. Anyone in the Champions League, right? Uh, against Celtic, uh, but they're travelling to Scotland uh, without Robert Lewandowski. Ah, he didn't make the trip, and that's a real problem because Bayern do not have anyone who really fits the definition or description of a striker. Thomas Müller is out as well. So up front, they might be playing Vidal, they might be playing Javi Martinez. Robin might do what he did for, for Holland at the last World Cup and play as a, a sort of a deep striker. Um, so it's going to be very interesting what Jupankis does because Jupankis is very old school. You know, he, he likes to play strikers as strikers, midfielders as midfielders. He's the opposite of, of Pep Guardiola in that respect. But there isn't really a, a natural substitute in this squad. So... Uh, maybe a bit of a chance for Celtic. OK, who have a record recently of, of springing surprises on big clubs at Celtic Power. And I can't think of a more profound shift in mentality for any football club to cope with because of the weekend Celtic had... Uh, Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock, mm. managed by Steve Clark now, of course, who were ultra-defensive and frustrated them and came away with a good point. So leaping from that to Bayern Munich is quite the shift. All right. Uh, back-to-back games against Rip RB Leipzig. Uh, first in the cup, which they went through on pens, and then uh, what was it, two nil in the Bundesliga on Saturday? The cup game, Navigator, Liverpool bound Navigator, mm-hmm. sent off. That's three red cards for him in seven games. Is there a bit of an issue there? Yeah, it's a little bit of an experience. Um, he can get carried away with things. Sometimes his decision making is bad. I mean, with Bayern, they actually targeted him. They fouled him. They sort of took turns and fouling him and kicking him, and then he lashed out. Uh, received a yellow which probably was a yellow and then just after the break he pulled back uh, Lewandowski to um, stop a counter-attack and there was very little option I think for for the referee but to send him off um, which effectively killed the game I mean Leipzig to their credit uh, held out and took it all the way to penalties but Bayern um, created enough chances to win this game a couple of times over and then, unfortunately, on Saturday, for all the neutrals who really were expecting a, a titanic tussle of sorts, it only took 18 minutes for Willy Orban to, to be sent off. And, and Leipzig basically said, OK, that's it. We, we kind of give up. They, they never recovered from that. So the strange thing happened is that um, when Jupankis came in, everybody said, OK, they've got Freiburg and they've got Hamburg and all these you know, fairly easy games. Celtic is not going to be the biggest opposition at home in Munich. But like those two Leipzig games, they really will tell us how good Bayern are. But the way they've gone, they have really have, haven't told us much at all. Who have Leipzig got in the Champions League this week? Um, they've got Porto again, okay. uh, away from home. All oh, right, of course. Yeah. Uh, massive game coming up this weekend, De Classica, as Bayern Munich take on the Borussia Dortmund side that they've just knocked off top spot uh, just one thing to mention, we talked about Celtic and they had that 1-1 draw with Kilmarnock. Of course, this week uh, also saw Rangers sacking Pedro Caixinha. Uh, that was on Thursday. Graham Murty taking over Mertz. He stuck Kenny Miller back in the starting lineup, and they beat Hearts 3-1. And all that with no headstands either. I'm sorry? Murty, in his last spell as caretaker manager, reacted to one event by standing on his head. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. We're back in a second with Ian's trip to the King Power and the dawn of a new age for the Foxes. Listeners, like a stat, have a go on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Ian, you went to Leicester Everton. Yes. We were expecting grey football from Claude Puel, and we got it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He, uh, he's not changed too much there. No, um, but I mean, he unleashed the 
Demarai Gray. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. Okay. I, yeah. Oh, this was was this the moment of the weekend for you, Jordan? I think so, and I've been a Gray fan for a long time. Of Demarai Gray. I, yeah, I love yeah. him. Um, he's he's very old school. He just gets the ball and runs, and just yeah. runs at people. His final ball's not been great, but the last year has improved. You've been a fan. Leicester managers have not been a fan. Is it because of that final ball? What's the issue? I don't know. Claudio Ranieri brought him in in uh, January in the title run-in. Um, and the way he was used was, was the, the sensible way. Um, they already had a very settled team and he was a great person to bring on for the last 15 minutes. Um, but he never really got a kind of clear run in the team after that. He didn't get it under Shakespeare either. And it's really interesting. Claude Puel's shuffled things about. He's moved Riyad Mahrez into the number 10 role. Mm. Um, he's put Gray out on the right. Um, and he actually dropped Mark Albrighton for mm. Ben Chilwell, who we all know is a left-back, but he played as kind of attacking left-sided midfielder, sometimes an inside forward he was cutting in so far. And it worked brilliantly. Now, partly that's because it worked brilliantly, and partly it's because it was against Everton, mm. who were terrible, really, really terrible. I, th- I think Puel, just a quick point on him, there's been a lot of disrespect being put on his name, I think, from a lot of the English fans and even English media, and because he's not the most charismatic and he's not a... You know, a big name. He's really respected on the continent and he's got a decent record. And Leicester needs to remember that despite winning the Premier League, if you take that out, albeit a big part of their history out of the, the last three or four years, they would see him as a really, really good get. But I don't know if they think that because they've won the Premier League, they should be getting someone that's more name brand than Claude Puel. But I think he did some good work at Southampton last year and I was surprised they let him go. I think they may regret that. Yeah, and certainly before that in Ligue 1, he was uh, one of the highest rated managers. Yeah. Is Demare Gray destined to be signed by Man City and Liverpool for 50 million and then never play again? Asked Wilfred Lawrence. I sincerely hope not. Mm. Okay, um, how bad, Everton? Let's look at some uh, listeners' thoughts. Given the reasons for their failure uh, are entirely down to the squad, is this Everton team the most ill-conceived in Premier League history? Asked Andy Palmer. Billy Zakiri on a similar note, without a striker who can score goals and a multitude of other problems, could Everton have a relegation dogfight on their hands? Given that they're in the bottom three, I'm saying yes to that. Uh, Harry Watt says, who can get Everton out of the mess? And do you think they will get out of it? Uh, David Unsworth, uh, the first audition didn't go terribly well. Well, in fairness to him, he did what most people have been crying out for. Tom Davis was in the middle with Idrissa Gay. They had two wingers in Morales and Lennon. Um, Wayne Rooney was in the number 10 position. So it was a lot, of, you know, it looked a sensible enough lineup. But they pushed up too far, which you can never do against Leicester. Um, they had six players in that starting 11, six outfield players in that starting 11 who were over the age of 30. And right. they looked at, they okay. really looked at. Because there's been a lot of focus on the, the multiple number 10s and the lack of a, 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 a reliable striker option. But Jagielka and, and Williams at the back looks like a potentially another. Yeah, major well, Michael issue. Keane's got an infected gash on his leg, um, which has turned horribly horribly poisoned apparently and he's been taken to hospital but apparently it's it's responding well to treatment um so he's going to be out of it for right. for a little bit um and john joe kenny came in very highly rated mm. um <clears throat> as a youngster can. and yes he can unfortunately oh it just had that horrible moment of trying to clear a ball and somehow swiping it behind him and past jordan pickford but the worst thing about it was there's a big screen at leicester and they replayed that goal twice and the mocking laughter I, I, there can't be anyone in there who didn't feel sorry for Kenny. Even Leicester fans felt sorry for Kenny. Did you enjoy your trip to the King Power? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, well, but in general, did you? I, I, I you always, a real buzz I, about the place now? Yeah, I really like going there. It's always a very good atmosphere. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they, there wasn't that much wrong with Leicester. I still think Craig Shakespeare was harshly sacked. They, they weren't a particularly bad team. They weren't playing particularly bad football. It's probably the the right job to get if you're a manager, as opposed to Everton, which looks like a horror show. Right. Um, that said, you know, Sean Dyche, I'm sure we'll have opportunity to talk about that um, position tonight um, because Burnley are playing Newcastle. And right. I'd imagine he'll be interviewed before and afterwards. Absolutely. Uh, Everton, meanwhile, have a Thursday night appointment with uh, Olympic Lyonnais whose captain Nabil Fakir returned to the side in style this weekend as they defeated the bottom side in Liga uh, Mets 2-0. And uh, that match, if it doesn't go Everton's way, we'll probably see them out... Well, we'll see them out of the Europa League. Uh, Also this weekend, we had Arsenal coming from behind yet again. Uh, This time um, they were taking on Swansea at the Emirates. Kolasinac. 
Cy Rams says, is Saeed Kolasinac the best pound-for-pound signing of the Premier League this summer as he could slot into four of last season's top six first 11s no problem? Uh, well, pound for pound, yes, because he came on a, on a free transfer. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant because he's a junkie fella. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, he's been... I think it was clear that he was going to be a good signing. I still don't know, I'm still not 100% sure he is an ideal wing-back, uh, the way he plays. No, he's, um, he's not exactly Benjamin Mendy, who is. No, yeah, no. But he scores, and he, he scores, and he is, yeah. he is, um, he's a top professional. And uh, he brings a bit of fight and a bit of heart and a bit of all those things that Arsenal sometimes tend to miss. Always. And Jordan, what do you what do you think? Uh, of just what, just hmm, one quick sentence. I think the Swansea game was a little bit similar to Huddersfield Liverpool because Swansea in the first half they frustrated Arsenal. They took the lead. I think Czech was a little bit at fault. Came out mm-hmm. in stages. Didn't really commit himself properly. Um, but ultimately, as they tired. Um, Arsenal's football just was just a little bit too good, and we've we've seen that that game so many times mm-hmm. at the Emirates yeah. over the last few years, and that was just another occasion. We wore them down, definitely. Yeah, you could you could see that as the second half wore on, they wore down, um, and the goal was pretty much coming. Arsenal weren't great. Um, Klasnac is a very good player I like him because as Raf says he does bring a bit of fight a bit of steel a bit of oomph that we've missed for, for a very long time I'm still not quite sure how intelligent he is I'm not saying that he's not I'm just not quite all in yet with him I think so far he started very well mm-hmm. and he's definitely improved the team and improved the squad but I'm, I'm still that role is a role that I think demands a bit more intelligence than people think. And I think in the big games, i.e. this weekend, mm-hmm. we may find out actually how intelligent he is. All right. How so optimistic far, are you about the clash with Man City? Um, You've had some better results against Man City. We've done okay against them, yes. Um, I think it's all about Arsenal starts. I think that's a bit of a cliche for most games, but more so with Arsenal than any other team. If right. we start on the on the case, we, we've, got, we've got a chance. But if we... If we for, for too passive and too reactive it, it could be brutal of course before that you've got Red Star at home yes uh, Red Star the away match against whom featured Arsenal's goal of the season that's so right far. I mean I know it's only October <laughs> yes but still yes yes it was it was it was a good goal and I think that good goal John it was, it was beautiful yeah it was it was yeah I, I still think he was maybe offside. Uh, Theo has come back from an offside position oh, right. fractionally, but hey, oh, yeah. I don't want to dampen my team's goals too much, but yeah. Okay. Well, I talked about Demare Gray's run as, as possibly the, the, the moment of the weekend in the Premier League, but you could make a case for what happened in the 96th minute at Selhurst Park. Uh, Crystal Palace, having dominated West Ham, about to lose 2-1 to Slavin Bilic's side, and then... Who was it? It was a Mikel Antonio lost Mikel Antonio, the ball. Who's the closest yeah. thing I've got to a favourite West Ham player? Oh right, and um, and he reason for that just crossed the ball into the box where there was no one, no one there. All he no had to really do was there. go to the corner flag, stick his bum out, and stay there for as long as possible. Mm. But hang on, there were people in the box. That was the worrying thing. There were yeah. three players, but in they the weren't box. really committed. No, to no, the no. <laughs> Either go for it or stay back. One of the two. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so then, what happened was they bombed down the other end, and of course, um, Zaha scores. Yes. And the picture of Roy Hodgson celebrating oh, why Slav Bilic is it's amazing. It's the, the best picture I've seen this season. There's him and there's Slav Bilic yeah. in the yeah, same show. It's nice and diptych. Ed Quoth Raven says, did Palace actually do their survival chances a favour by ensuring Bilic will keep his job and keep West Ham <laughs> in the relegation mix because they, they only drew? What is the, the Bilic situation? There was a lot of talk they had two games to save his job. They didn't lose either of them. No, no, that's that's absolutely true. There was a lot of paper talk that West Ham were in a position where they couldn't identify anyone better. I don't know how much truth there was mm-hmm. in this paper talk. Um, but, I mean, they don't sack managers lightly, Sullivan and Golden Co. Um, they, they tend to have a lot of patience. They sacked Avram Grant after one season because he did actually get them relegated. But mostly, there and at Birmingham, they have an awful lot of patience. I would be surprised if it lasts much past Christmas at this rate. Okay. I, I would. I don't think they'll sack him. While he's nowhere near looking like going down with West Ham, I think they'll rather just ride it out until the summer and you know, not give him a payoff to, to get rid of him and just start fresh mm-hmm. in... Uh, in, in, in the I summer I think they might be going down yeah, Jordan, yeah, they're all at one point much. away from well yeah but three. we're in we're in what October okay do you know what I mean I think if they're, if they're there in March then yeah mm. but I think well, as long as 
it's not looking precarious. I think they'll ride it up. Can I say, Joe Hart had a splendid game, didn't he? That's exactly what I was going to say, mm. um, because he has had his fair share of criticism, not least from, from this show. Um, but that was the best I've seen him play in absolutely ages. He felt so sorry for me. He's obviously devastated in this post-match interview. So mm. He actually sort of slumped back against the advertising. Almost um, fell off the wall. <laughs> 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 um, he played brilliantly. He didn't deserve to come He out cares, doesn't way. he? He does. Possibly care. too much, but he cares. <laughs> He's holding on too tight. Hey, Ken Oakley uh, has emailed in. He says, inflammatory bowel disease is not a laughing matter. I've had it for 35 years and had four major operations. That's after I made an ill-advised joke about Darren Fletcher. Um, Fletcher's a great example, says Ken, of someone managing this chronic and incurable condition and a role model for others. Fletcher's actually an ambassador for Crohn's and Colitis UK, which is a charity which I think I should probably make a, a, a donation to after, yeah. Sorry about that, Ken, and anyone else. Uh, and well done, Darren Fletcher, for that sweet volley in the victory against Watford. Hey, Straight how about that? The Paul Skulls playbook. Bang. How about that? And still, a Darren Fletcher volley straight from a corner wasn't the most uh, surprising thing about that game. Are you talking about Charlie Adams' attempts to score the second? Even that only just makes the podium compared to Troy Deeney trying to pop Joe, Joe Allen's face like a oh, like a balloon. That was horrible, wasn't it? Yeah. It was really... So a couple of weeks ago, when uh, Troy Deeney gave us the benefit of his opinion vis-a-vis mm-hmm. <laughs> Arsenal and the contents of their shorts. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a general feeling that it was actually quite exciting that, you know, ooh, he's trash talking, how, how daring. But this is rather less fun. Yeah, it's less fun. It was, a li- it was a bit weird how he was doing it while still smiling, really. It's a massive grin as he was doing it. Well, yeah, quite a menacing grimace. Of, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a bit weird looking at it. But I think that we all lauded. We most people lauded Troy Deeney for being this honest, open guy that gave us more than just these cliche lines mm. when he a, a post Arsenal match. But then I think that if we're going to applaud, basically what I took it is he's a bit of a thug. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was polite talk for, I go on the pitch and I do what I need to do to get the job done. That, mm. for me anyway, was like, I'm a bit of a thug, so I'm not very good. And we saw this weekend that, well, are we going to applaud him for being open and honest anymore now? This sort of thing. Because this is the result of what he told us he was really about two right. weeks ago. That was my interpretation of it anyway. I think you're spot on, Jordan. Uh, right. Hey, great for... Mark Hughes, were you going to say this as well, Ian? After getting beaten 7-2 by Man City and then losing against Bournemouth, he goes to Watford, much fancied Watford, gets a clean sheet away from home. Hey, a manager under pressure, a little bit of vindication for the sparkling Sparky Hughes. Yeah, they're still under pressure. Yeah. Um, because their form has been, has been very, very poor. Absolutely uh, enormous win. But you can still see... Uh, them getting sucked into the relegation zone. Uh, they're only three points away from Everton. Um, I think Bournemouth could still improve quite easily. So that's a bit of a downer, Stoke... oh, I'm sorry, but I think Stoke are um, are a side that are not really ever um, conceiving themselves as being involved in the lower regions of the. Um, <laughs> not anything, yeah. Um, no, I think they they are, you know, looking to get in the first, shall we say, ten. But to be at the at the wrong end of the table, um, I don't see. Look at a squad and think they're particularly um, cut out to to do well. The if thing, they if they get sucked down there, yeah. The thing with Stoke has always been, you know, they've had enough about them not to be in any trouble. They haven't had enough about them to be of any threat. But at the moment, they're shipping two goals a game. Only Crystal Palace have conceded more, and only by one. Um, if they can't get that bit right, they definitely haven't got enough at the other end. Although the stats are wildly skewed by the seven that they shipped at, at the Etihad. Yeah, that's true. But even if it was, uh, you know, let's take off half d- of them, there'd oh, still yeah, be hardly you any them by teams. Half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there'd still be hardly any teams. <laughs> divide by two. Point sorry, divide by two. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they 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 needed that. But All right. Let's put it that way. Okay. The other match this weekend, of course, we still got one to go. As you hinted, Burnley taking on Newcastle on Monday night, but Brighton and Saints and a South Coast derby finishing one-one. Uh, Glenn Murray again, Pascal Gross, Gross yeah. again. That's two goals and five assists He's for him. Probably pound for pound, also. Mm. Um, How really much they pay for him? Two point seven million pounds, I think. Is that, that Gross is basically. Uh, this is. I don't think they are Texas uh, on on transfer fees, James. But two point seven million pounds is effectively a free transfer in these days. Yeah. So he's been a great pickup. 
Bing! We've come to uh, another little natural pause, a natural break in today's show. But on the other side of it, we've got some of our most interesting stuff. So stick around. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Yeah, listen, as I lied about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on. No, there's some good questions here. Here's Fitzy in New Zealand. Hello. Fitzy? Yeah, Fitzy in New Zealand. He says, is the Wellington Phoenix's young goalkeeper to blame for our 3-3 draw after blowing a kiss at Brisbane Roar's penalty taker? Probably, Oops. yeah. <laughs> Oops. That's a that's a mistake. Not the worst thing that a goalkeeper did this weekend, of course. No. Probably everyone's seen this story. Have you seen the story, Jordan? I have, indeed, yes. Mm. Um, goalkeeper... Max Crocombe. Takes a P. Yep. Um, towards the end of their their game, Salford versus uh, they play Bradford Park Avenue. That's the one, and gets a red card. Right. And the thing that I seems th- harsh, isn't it? Well, th- th- maybe. But I would have thought a yellow would have been more appropriate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm confused about the mechanics. I mean, I don't know what the stadium was like, but if you're yep. just going to go for a standard standing wee against the post, yes. you know, you're kind of exposing yourself to the terracing behind. Or you could go for the sneaky drop kind of into uh, into a sort of lunge position and like just poke a, out the shorts. Uh, what was his name? Oh, Demarcus Beasley, of course. Yeah. In the World Cup 2006. Do you remember but that you, on the bench? But you think if you're doing that, then you're not really going to get noticed because you just say you're stretching out some Well, cramp. apparently he was told by... The, he said he, he apologised yeah. afterwards... Um, and he said, you know, he had a bit of a problem and he had to. And the, the steward apparently told him twice not to do it. He went to the side of the stand, as I understand it, says the club secretary. I didn't actually see it, but the referee definitely sent him off for it because he was alerted to it by his linesman. One of our spectators has made a formal complaint. People. That's a bit risky, though, going all the way to the side of a stand. I mean, wow. How long's a ball out of Hey, play? didn't Jens Lehmann do this? He went behind the advertising hoarding, didn't he? Did, he did, yeah. <laughs> Playing for Stuttgart, yeah. And under what foul? What? What? Because a red card seems appropriate. Unsporting behaviour. Is that what it comes under? Yeah. Mm. Okay. yeah. Also, leaving the pitch without the referee's permission. I don't know. It all comes yeah. hot on the heels of. Oh, actually, that's a bad expression. But anyway, <laughs> it, 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 it follows a, a recent case in um, in Serie D down in uh, you know the Italy Italy's nether regions um, <laughs> where Giovanni uh, Liberti uh, for Turis Calcio who play out of Torre del Greco. Lovely little spot, that, down in uh, Campania. Uh, and he he basically has been given a five-game ban. Have you seen the story? Got picked up quite widely for urinating in the direction of the away fans and making obscene and vulgar gestures. Yeah, well, that, to you, can't, you can't do that. Yeah. No, but he yeah. says he didn't. He says that basically he went over dr- to a drinking fountain and was just readjusting himself in his shorts. and I Accidentally don't know. squirted out a few... Uh, <laughs> Towards the rival you know, fans. You're, you're, you're asking, you know, what this come this? Uh, what is the actual technical offence? Yeah. Maybe it should be known as cold play. Why? Because it's all yellow too. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. Okay. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got it. Um, oh, that was super. Anyway. Anyway, back to your questions. Jody Willis says, "Will you be discussing Garth Brooks' hair obsession?" Did you see? I, I saw that. He yeah, wrote, did he you wrote see? Brooks. I think he meant Crooks. Unless the country of oh, Western yeah, yeah. Star is <laughs> <laughs> moving Garth into Crooks. new markets. Yeah, yeah, where he had to go at um, Bakayoko, no? Yeah. Yes. For dyeing his hair blue. And yes. the amount of time it took each, he would be better advised learning to spend English. on training or learning English. Yes. Yeah. That's a bit school teacher. I would think it? so too. I like his hair. Hmm. Um, Frank Psychic wants us to celebrate a calendar year of Dries Mertens being a striker. Is it a year ago that happened? Because he was a, he was a reserve kind of winger, and now fifty two games and forty two goals, best position conversion ever. That's an interesting shout, Frank Psyche. I, I don't know if there's any ones that spring to mind of people who've. Jeremy. Ah, well, that's an excellent one, straight off the bat. Valencia. Mm. Paul Warhurst, Sheffield Wednesday, early nineties, went from being a centre back to a hot shot forward and got an England call up. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll have more of those perhaps. <laughs> We'll think about that and come back to you, Frank Sidekick. Uh, there's some other Champions League games that you might or might not be interested in this week. Barcelona away at Olympiacos. Atleti. Barcelona, by the way, are now eight points clear of Real Madrid and four of Valencia. Atleti are at home to Carabag, which you reckon they might pick up three points there. Uh, Kim Gabira got his first goal of the season in their 1-0 win this weekend against Celta Vigo. They're still unbeaten. PSG. You recall we're playing without Neymar, who 
Lord knows what Garth Crooks would make of his hair. <laughs> Uh, they beat Nice 3-0 on Friday night with two from Cavani, who's now scored 63 goals in 63 games. Well done to him. And they're taking on, I think, Anderlecht. I think I'm right in saying. Besiktas, Dark Horses, Black Eagles. Mm. They'll be taking on Monaco. Sporting up against Juventus. Did you see Juve Milan? Oh, Milan Juve, rather. I did not, no. Oh, okay. I just saw that uh, our friend Gonzalo Higuain had uh, one mm. of his better games. He did, I didn't think he? I fair to say. Poor old, poor old. But it's Milan, just though. you were you ruining it for everybody again. Just when you thought you had a title race, no, there's a title race. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they're not top of the table. Yeah, but ominous. We'll see. It? What I'm worried about is is, is poor old Vincenzo Montella on, on the Milan bench because people keep saying the pressure's building. Mm. I, don't, I don't know that it really is, but and they look pretty good. I think in this game, Milan. I, did, um, I don't know if anybody saw it. They created a whole bunch of chances. Before and after Juve scored the first, after the second was a little bit more problematic. But Kalinic had a, where well, he, he had quite a wasteful evening. And uh, Juve actually looked pretty good at the back as well, with Rugani coming in and uh, and also Chiellini back. So, yeah, they're, as I say, they're going to be trying to sporting in a big game in that Champions League group. And we'll talk more about Italy on Thursday, of course. Chris Owens, though, wants to flag up Lucas Torreira's goal. Uh, his massive free kick. Did you see this for Sampdoria against Chievo? Samp had a 4-1 win against Chievo. He scored two of the goals. One of them is this... It's a kind of Rocobaresque free kick. But the crucial thing is there was no goal, uh, There was no wall from Chievo, which is something David Priest has been talking about a lot. Mm-hmm. Why do you need a wall? You're better off without it. He didn't have a wall there. Didn't do much good, though. No. It's a great free kick. And Benevento failed to win or get a point again. Uh, they lost 5-1 at home to Lazio, who are in the um, kind of doghouse after the uh, abhorrent behaviour of their fans uh, last week. Uh, that's Lazio's sixth consecutive win in the league. All sorts of interesting points which we can address on Thursday. Tuesday, though, we'll see the return of the Totally Football League show, in with you yeah. at the helm. Very much so. What's on your f- <coughs> Football League agenda? I'm always really excited about it, but I'm really, really excited about this because we've got Ivor Heller, who's a director at AFC Wimbledon, who was there right at the beginning. Um, He uh, one of the founding fathers of of the new AFC Wimbledon Mm. and a brilliant, brilliant guy, great storyteller. He's going to be on, so we'll be talking about them. Um, We'll also be talking about Fulham because we set Matt Stanger there. They're arguably one of the better teams in the championship and they just haven't got going. Very fortunate for a late Tom Kearney goal to rescue what would have been a humiliating defeat at home to Bolton. And we'll look at popular Steve Evans and Mansfield as well. Oh, good. They were pre-season favourites to win the fourth division. Uh, They're stuck in mid-table, so we'll have a look at that too. Championship has a new leader. It does. Yeah. Sheffield United. Yes, who won away at Elland Road. Um, mm. Leeds, who just five, six weeks ago were looking like you know, the front runners in this division, have just fallen apart. Five defeats and seven for them now, and they're down to fifth. Sheffield United, who of course were only promoted last season from the third division, absolutely flying. They look brilliant. They're one point clear of Wolves at the top because Wolves screwed up and lost to QPR. No. QPR hadn't won in about eight games. Stop. I know. What about the Birmingham Villa game? Terrible game, nil-nil. Steve Bruce did complain that Birmingham fans were throwing their clappers at his players. Is that uh, true? Uh, apparently so. He, he called them weapons. Um, so I will review the footage with interest and get back on that tomorrow. OK. And Sunderland have slumped oh, to second bottom. Yeah. They've got a massive game on Tuesday night when they take on the team that is bottom-bottom, Bolton. Yeah, um, and Bolton are playing well at the moment. Ah. As I say, very unfortunate not to beat Fulham away, which would have been quite an achievement. They're starting to starting to find their form after a miserable, miserable start, whereas Sunderland are just flat-out miserable. They haven't won since August. Um, their home record is so bad, I think it's almost breaking records. I think only two more If you doubled games. it, they'd still be in the- <laughs> <laughs> Only two more home games required, I think, to break the record for the longest run of Ooh. failures to win at home. Um, they're, they're just terrible. Wow. Um, it's a very, very sad sight. So many empty seats. They had the attendance at 27,000, which you know would be very impressive, but I suspect that's season ticket holders mm. rather than people who were actually there, and that is not a criticism of them. They've put up with so much you can't blame them if they didn't want to go they are terrible I don't think Simon Grayson's going to last much longer Oh, uh, and he left Preston for this mm. wow 
What did you leave for this today, Jordan? Where are you going? What, what are you off to do now? I am off to Selfridges. Okay. To buy a kettle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But this is the this is the kind of anecdote that we need. Posh kettle, selfridges. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are you doing next? What, what, what's next so, for you? Because you, you're across so many things I, with your DJing. And I, the... I try my best, yes. A mixture of club nights and my own podcast, which is tonight. I've got to prepare for that, actually. Oh, right. What, what are you um, talking about in that? Tonight we are talking about um, Mark Sampson and if saying something racist makes you a racist. Right. We're going to be speaking about the weekend's games and also, off the top of my head, Pochettino as well. Is he a world-class coach or an elite manager? The, the podcast is Football Fans. Football Fans podcast, yes. Yep. We get football fans on to talk about a variety of different things. We try not focus too much on the weekend's games because there's so many interesting things in football to talk about. You know, rather than Stoke versus West Brom nil nil, we try to alleviate some of those. Um, uh, Basically, what we've just done. No, 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 no. But it's different for you guys. <laughs> you might have said that before we started. <laughs> our views just prefer us. To, our listeners prefer us just to maybe talk a little bit about issues, right? Based things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I get that. Did I, I, think, last, did I dig well there? That's your last <laughs> last time in here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for your concern yeah. in our business. Yeah, there you go. See you later, Jordan. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Rafa, you want well, you and I, Tuesday and Wednesday night, we've got so an looking appointment forward to it, with, James. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. Before that, I've got a couple of trips to the cinema for my movie thing. Got that Murder on the Orient Express that's coming out this week. Oh, yeah. Kenneth Branagh, Kenneth Brannering. Exactly. I'm always happy when he's Brana, Kenneth Branagh. Brana. Yeah. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for being with us, Jordan. You as well. Pleasure. Raphael Honigstein, producer Ben, and especially you listeners. Do enjoy your week until we're back on Thursday, and we'll catch you then. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. <laughs>